Matthew chapter 8, we pick back up at verse 28 and read through the end of the chapter. And when Jesus was come to the other side of the country of the Gazarenes, Gerasenes, there met him two possessed with devils coming out of the tombs, exceeding fierce, so that no man might pass by that way. And behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? And there was a good way off from them, a herd of many swine feeding. So the devils besought him, saying, If thou cast us out, suffer us, permit us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said unto them, Go. And when they were come out, they went into the herd of swine, and behold, the whole herd of swine ran violently down a steep place into the sea and perished in the waters. And they that kept them fled and went their ways into the city and told everything and what was befallen to the possessed of devils. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they besought him that he would depart out of their Father, it's hard to preach a text that basically says, Jesus, get out of here. And yet before us is a text of scripture in which we read that very thing. Our faithful and precious, beloved Lord Jesus, on this day of record, came to a community. And that community would not, did not. What a tragedy a self-induced tragedy because of unbelief and fear of the wrong thing. So much for us to learn today in this account. Help us to be able to appropriate it righteously, especially in light of this time of the year in which the vast majority of our neighbors are gearing up to celebrate as fun and funny and, uh, and harmless the spirit world that we in Christ know to be real. Help us then to be uniquely led by thy spirit as we think through the text today and make good applications for our souls. 
pray these things in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen. James, the Lord's half-brother, I'm not confused, by the way, as to what hour I'm in. James, next hour, but James, this hour, the Lord's half-brother said something that you and I this morning need to hear as we approach this text. James said, Thou believest that there is one God. Thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. One of the strange elements of today's text is the true representation of Christology as represented by devils. You have in this account the doctrine of devils and what they indicate is exactly the truth of the matter. In fact, in this hour, we're going to follow the doctrine of demons. And we'll do so just momentarily. But there's another little angle to the text that I want to at least point out to you, and that is the prayer angle of the text that I find very hard to ignore. Verse 31 says that the demons besought Jesus. And the word besought, likewise, means and is translated to pray. Here you have a demonic prayer directed towards the Lord Jesus. And then the community besought Jesus, verse 34, uh, to leave. And so you have two prayers here. You have the prayer of demonic spirits, and you have the prayer of a local community that is directed to the Lord Jesus. Neither the demonic prayer nor the community prayer is a good example of prayer for us. Although we must say that it was directed to God, and that is Matthew's point. Matthew's point is to put on display for us the deity, the godness of Jesus the Christ. But, but then there's this other related angle that I at least want to mention this morning by way of introduction, and that is that we find here in Matthew 8.34 the first overt community-wide rejection of the Lord Jesus. Ironically, the community, think of this, the community, that community found a way to tolerate and to work around two demon-possessed maniacs that, uh, uh, that lived in their community. They found a way to live with them. They found a way to work around them. They found a way to avoid them. They found a way to go about their business and uh, live with uh, men that were absolutely maniacs. In fact, my title of the sermon is Maniacs in Gadara. And uh, here you have a, a testimony of a community that found it easy to live with maniacs and yet want none if nothing to do uh, with uh, life in the Lord Jesus. 
Evil is easier for a sinful community to live with than righteousness. We preach the truth that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but when sinners fear only that the Lord will disrupt their lives as they personally desire their lives, that brand of fear cannot direct the soul unto wisdom. Fearing God in that way would be unwise, although you know that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In the broader context, we've seen the growing understanding of the disciples in Christological terms as indicated by the question posted at the storm, what manner of man is this? Verse 27, I believe that that question needs to be considered in light of the question coming from the lips of evil spirits in verse 29, what have we to do with thee? And ultimately, that question of the disciples, verse 27, and the demons, verse 29, must be connected to the question of the Lord Jesus in the ninth chapter in verse 5, as we will get to it in coming Sundays, Lord willing. But here you have the disciples' question in record, Matthew chapter 8, followed by the demonic question in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 29. Both questions... Both questions are recorded to clarify for us exactly who Jesus the Christ is. It is not difficult to discern that the point, or to discern at this point, that the demons have a greater doctrinal knowledge of who Jesus is than Peter, James, and John. It's not too hard to discern in this record that the demons have a greater sense of Christology in truth than do the disciples. Our text confirms what James says in that the demons do believe in one and only one God. And the text likewise bears evidence that indeed they do tremble before him. It's interesting because there are more references to angels and demons in the Gospel of Matthew than there is to love and sin combined. And you and I have been so desensitized to the reality of a spirit world that has never gone anywhere but where it is, here, that we have become perfectly comfortable with people living around us who celebrate the uncelebratable, people that think it funny and cool to uh, make fun in light of things that go bump in the night. And in fact, the latest statistic is that 73% of Americans celebrate Halloween. That means that it rivals Christmas and Easter in our culture. There is a, a disconnect between the plain reading 
of the eternal and settled word of God and the way in which even God's people view day in and day out. As strange as it may seem, this interaction between Jesus and the demon-possessed helps us to correctly identify Jesus as God in flesh. And indeed, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to examine a little deeper the demonic view of Jesus. Because I tell you that the demonic view of Jesus is the right one. It's strange to preach this way. I, I, I can't think of any other venue in which I say, you know, you really ought to pay attention to the demons here. But you and I ought to pay attention to these demons here. Because what they represent in what they say and how they react is absolutely pure as to its Christology. And so we begin with the demonic view. And in the demonic view, Jesus is adversarial. The question of verse 29, what have we to do with thee? What connection is there between you, precious, blessed Lord Jesus, and us, demons? And as the old rock song says it, absolutely nothing by way of connection between our blessed Lord and these evil spirits. That question indicates that there is absolutely no compatibility between Jesus and these demons. His idea for the lives of sinful and afflicted people is very different from the demonic idea. When the Apostle Paul made his case for godly living to the church at Corinth, he asked, quote, What fellowship hath righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? In each case, the answer is none, none, and none. Nothing could be more apart than right and wrong, light and dark, the Savior and Satan. The question asked by demons underscores the truth that Jesus is different from the demons in purpose and in person, as different as light is from dark and right is from wrong. Jesus is adversarial toward the demons and a true friend to those two men that are possessed of demons. No mere man could help these maniacs, but Jesus helped by a single word. Jesus simply said to those powerful, 
possessing demons go. And of course they had to. Because the reality is Jesus is God. That would be Matthew's point again and again and again in this section. The disciples are beginning to discover that truth that Jesus is God. As we have it here, the demons already know it. But nonetheless, that would be the overriding contextual point that's being made by Matthew here is that Jesus is more than a mere man. He indeed is the God-man. Our text recounts the true story of men with severe mental torment. Their derangement was not caused by birth effect. Their derangement was not caused by physical injury. Their derangement was not caused by chemical imbalance. Their torment was caused by spiritual tormentors. The men were possessed of many demons. As a result, life for them was out of control. They lived in the hills of the local community where uh, the dead were buried. And life was lived by those two men, by and large, unclothed and absolutely uncontrolled. The scripture tells us that they were fierce, exceeding fierce, and that the community had found a way to take the side roads. The community had found a way to live in the midst of maniacs by taking a side road, by, by avoiding the aspect of the ugly reality that was a part of that local park. The account of wild winds, Matthew 8, is followed by this account of wild men driven by demons. This account is one of the reasons why we selected the response hymn for this month, Jesus is the friend of sinners. He is the friend of sinners. He's the foe of demons. And both of those truths of Jesus as friend and foe are seen by us all in this text. But we begin with this thought. In the demonic view, uh, Jesus is adversarial. Jesus is a foe. And I remind you that he is the almighty foe, to be sure. Secondly, in the demonic view, God the Father approves Jesus. Again, verse 29, what have we to do with thee, Jesus? The men, occupied by demons, knew Jesus' name, having never met him. Jesus, thou son of God. Jesus, thou son of God. God. Demons correctly identify Jesus as the unique Son of God long before the disciples stated such a truth. It'll be Matthew 16. This is Matthew 8. It will be Matthew 16 until Peter, prompted by the Lord's questions, 
will say, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Eight chapters from now. But here the demons correctly identify him as uh, the Jews' Messiah and the unique Son of the living God. The men dominated by evil spirits knew the Lord's earthly name and his correct identity, having never been told. These evil spirits would have known the eternal Son of God previously before Satan's rebellion in heaven. They must recognize him for who he is. One of the other gospel accounts of the same incident says that the man, one of the men, fell down at Jesus' feet in an act of worship. This too was demonic because demons know they must ultimately bow down to God. That's why James says demons know and demons tremble. Demons know and demons tremble because part of what they know is, is that God offers to them no saving rescue. And so they know, and as we said in this particular account, they know better than the disciples. They know the truth of Christology. They could pass the test if only asked the questions and needing to mark it right, rightly on a piece of paper. They could pass the test. And more than pass the test, they tremble, knowing that the truth of Christ is the truth of Christ. And that ultimately it does not go well with them. And so these individuals that are plagued of evil spirits uh, speak out with an amazing sense of accuracy concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. And that brings us to number three in our little outline in the demonic view uh, Jesus is armed and dangerous. Verse 29, Behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us? Are you here to vex us? Are you here to afflict us? Are you here to harm us? Are you here to deal with us as an adversary? And then this little kicker. Before the time, before the time, before the time. We begin with this thought that in the demonic view, Jesus is armed and dangerous. The demons fear Jesus. They view him as powerful, as armed, and dangerous to them. They know that he can dispel them. They know he will not allow them to remain as they are ultimately. And there's this little subtlety in verse 31 after the record that the, or that the, the demons uh, pray to Jesus. So the devils besought him or prayed to him, saying, If 
thou castest out. The devils had no clue as to what Jesus was going to do. They had no idea as to what he might do. They knew he could do it. They knew there was a time coming in which he would deal with them decisively. But at this particular moment, they did not know what he might do. And so then they say to him, if, if thou cast us out. They didn't say, if you can. They didn't say, if you're able. They didn't say, we're prepared to fight. They simply said, if you tell us what to do, we'll do it. Because they have to do it. But they want to recognize the fact that, uh, that uh, uh, this isn't the time. And so therefore, if you do take us out of these two men, uh, they saw these swine. They said, how about there? How about permitting us, suffering us, permitting us over there? The demons, the demons question forwarded uh, through the two possessed men asked Jesus if he came to vex them. Who are they? Vexers. What are they worried about? Being vexed. Here are the troublemakers worried about having trouble. Here are those that are vexing, worried about God the vexer. The demonic spirits who afflicted the two men without mercy, relentlessly, did not want to be afflicted or vexed by the Lord Jesus. Demons as fallen angels under Satan remain more powerful and intelligent than any human beings. They use that power and intelligence for hateful opposition to God and in hateful opposition to all humanity. But they use that power and intelligence only as God suffers them. Only as God permits them. Only as God allows. And they cannot prevent Jesus from loving and saving mankind as God in eternity has planned. Jesus is the friend of sinners and the authoritative foe of all evil angels. They are powerful and intelligent, but he is all-knowing and all-powerful. And those of us that love the Lord rejoice in the words of the Apostle John, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Amen? In addition, note the words again, before the time. These demonic spirits knew that God had appointed a time for all evil and fallen spirit beings to be forever vexed and tormented in the lake of fire. They knew that time had not yet come. 
And so therefore, they barter, they negotiate in prayer with the Lord Jesus, looking for some kind of temporary direction until the ultimate day of vexing and torment that awaits them in the plan of God. And so while submitting to the authority of Jesus, God the Son, out of absolute necessity and knowing they must depart their host if so commanded to do so, they ask for permission to enter the herd of swine. And that brings us to number four. In the demonic view, Jesus is appointed to glory and they are appointed to eternal wrath. God the Father's appointment of all time results in the glory of God the Son and the confining wrath of God upon Satan and his evil companions in the lake of fire. In the meantime, God the Son bid these evil spirits to go into the pigs, and the frenzy that followed resulted in hundreds of dead and floating pigs. Demons are obviously bad for people. And uh, pretty clear from this text, uh, demons are bad for pigs. The ranch hands that were keeping watch over that herd watched as the frenzied mess of pigs ran over a cliff and into the sea. And as soon as they saw that, those ranch hands fled and sped back to town to tell the whole city, Gergesha, to tell the whole city of the event. And, uh, and I want to pay particular attention uh, to the fact that they not only told the whole city, verse 34, uh, the whole event, but they specifically told them, verse 33 at the end part, what was befallen to the two maniacs, to the men that were possessed of devils. They took back, as it were, the good news of Jesus to the community. Yeah, there was the loss of the pigs, and many a preacher has camped upon that. But in addition to the loss of the herd, the ranch hands gave testimony of the good news concerning the maniacs. And they may well have said to the community, you know, you can actually walk right down the street and they won't come out after you. You can actually pass right by where you bury grandpa or grandma or Uncle Bob and, uh, and they won't come out there at you snarling and cursing and, uh, and acting to attack you. You can actually walk right through the park. First time in my life, I'm 42 years old, I never walked through there before, I'm going to walk through there today because those two maniacs are now... Uh, Non-manicotical. They've been uh, they've been diffused. They've been declawed. They they uh, they've been uh, relieved of their demonic oppression. And uh, I would think that uh, you know that kind of news would make the community rejoice. But of course, you already know they did not. But before we get to that, before we get to that, I just want to again emphasize in a broad stroke here 
the doctrinal confirmation in biblical evidence regarding both angiology and Christology that is found in this text. Angels, whether evil or elect, are the highest creatures of God's creation. Angels, whether evil or elect, bow to no man. They bow only to God. They possess amazing power and intellect. This story confirms an amazing list of doctrinal truth, including that Jesus is distinct from these evil angels, that Jesus is above these evil angels, and there is only one above angelic class, and that is God class, or God kind. Angels are the highest created class, and the only thing above them is uncreated God. And Jesus is clearly, in this text, seen to be above angels. Because, as you know, Jesus is God. Jesus is the uncreated. Jesus is dangerous to the evil angels. Jesus is appointed to an end contrasted to the evil angels. The evil angels are appointed in time, in the plan of God, in time, to eternal wrath. Jesus is appointed to eternal glory. Jesus is God in flesh. The evil angels knew it to their chagrin. The disciples were discovering it to their joy and salvation. We preach it today that you too might know God and his provision through Jesus Christ, our Lord. But the takeaway application for us this morning is twofold. First, the correct identity of Jesus is well demonstrated here. We might say, demonstrated. Jesus is the God-man on the mission of saving sinful humanity. Christ did not die for evil angels. He died for evil people like me and you. He died for sinners that we might be saved and come to peace with God forever. Secondly, knowing correctly who Jesus was and is was obviously of no help to those demons. 
and I'm concerned that it may be of no help to you. Because you can be doctrinally correct as the angiology, Christology, eschatology, ecclesiology, and still die and spend eternity apart from God missing his saving plan because God doesn't save families. He saves people. And your response to God must be personal or it means nothing at all. You must personally believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. You can't be saved because you're reformed. You can't be saved because you're a Baptist. Sadly, a lot of Baptists are overexposed and lacking in godly response. There is no guarantee of a Baptist making heaven. None. And the only name upon which we can name to be safe and sound in the days of eternity future is the name Jesus the Christ. The demonic view of Jesus is correct, but their view does them no good, nor can it, as they are confirmed in evil and judgment in the plan of God. But listen to this. Knowing who Jesus is, knowing what Jesus has done, can do you some good. Because God has intended for you to respond to him in faith and love. What a beautiful gospel opportunity this affords us this Lord's Day morning that we might have joy and satisfaction that all who have attended have indeed exercised their personal faith in Jesus Christ on the salvation. But then one more thing, that haunting rejection of the community at large. They take in the sight of men made well and dead pigs. They meet the Lord Jesus up close and personal. Have you ever had the thought when you're working with a sinner, I've been so nice, I've tried to be so helpful, I've tried to be so encouraging, I've tried to speak the truth so much, and yet they turn away from me. Oh, Lord, if only I were more like the Lord Jesus, they would receive me. No, they didn't receive the Lord Jesus either. It's not about you being nice. It's about the grip of evil upon the heart of every person. And except God work to loosen that grip, you and I are forever doomed. Those people in Gurgasha, the Gurgasines, called otherwise the Gadarenes, they take sight the men made well, they take sight of the dead pigs, they meet Jesus up close and personal, and yet they do not beg him to stay 
but rather to leave first place in the Gospel of Matthew where you have a community rejection of the Lord Jesus. Mark gives us the insight that they were frightened and simply wanted nothing to do with Jesus. Interestingly, they had found a modicum of comfort in the presence of evil, but they found no comfort, listen, they found no comfort, listen, they found no comfort in the presence of righteousness. And neither will I, and neither will you, except it be because of faith in Jesus Christ. They found a human means to endure the malicious, but they found no human means to receive mercy. You're saved only because God saves. Thank God he saves. Sad to say that many in western Michigan pursue the same kind of foolishness knowing just enough about Jesus to bid him depart. How many times have we started to talk about the truth of Christ only to have some adult, some teen, even some child say, I know, I know, I know, and you know, big deal, you know, big deal, you know, but you live like a dog. And I know that too. You have to personally respond to the truth of God yourself. Or it is meaningless in practical application. Couldn't help but think of the line from the old fairy tale. Friend or foe, friend or foe, friend or foe. Be sure of this. Jesus is your best friend or your worst foe. The same God who is your best friend is also your worst foe. God is ultimate friend or foe. Jesus is the friend of sinners. Father, help us to be a responsive people this morning. Help us to take this little song that we've been singing and apply it to the realities of our heart and minds. Thank you for the occasion. Help us now, we pray. For we ask these things in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen.